let's go back to, to what we're saying here. The premise of the course, nothing real can be threatened. So what is this about threatening something? What does that mean, to threaten something? Yeah, Fernando. Try to change it. Okay. To threaten is, is, to, is to provoke or to menace or to try and... Try to eliminate, try to extinguish. Mm -hmm. So we can have no effect, no effect whatsoever on that which is real. No matter how much we oppose it or discount it or disbelieve it, it makes no difference. The only one that's going to suffer is us in the opposition process because it will go against our nature in every possible way and therefore it is self-counterproductive. So we're going to create a great deal of dis-ease for ourselves. But nothing at the level of source can be threatened. It's impossible. Excuse me, you say source or soul? Source. Source. source is God. Source. Uh, source means la fuente. Okay, thank you. Okay. So, that which is primordial cannot be affected by us on any level. So, it cannot be threatened. We can question it, but that's about it. Everything else is what they're saying is unreal and therefore it doesn't exist if it's unreal how can it exist so the world that we are living in is only real to the extent of our illusion of our theatrical production of of our wonderful play that we get to be co-writers of and co-producers of. And so we get to actually modify the stage set and we get to modify our lines and even the geography of it. We can make choices along the way. That's the, we, we're part of the production company as well as the actors in it. But if we begin to believe that it is more than just a play that the I am is showing up to do diverse roles in for the fun of doing the diversity of those roles. The moment we believe something other than that, that it's more permanent than that, that's when we get into trouble. And that's not something that I was ever taught. In my entire upbringing from a family system to to a cultural system, to a social or religious, I was never taught that I was an individuation of God showing up to play multiple roles or castings in the play of life. I was never told that. I was told and I believed until very recently because 
for me to say, I mean, I've been on this path for 30 years, but I can't say that for more than 10 years of those 30, I have believed more often than not that I am only spirit having a human experience through this playwright that I am executing and this production company that I am executing and this stage hand that I get to play being because I am all three. And that's why I get to do as much as I want to do with my own life. Because when I say my own life, I'm speaking from the I am now. That's who the life belongs to. I have no power over my life. The power over my life is God's source. God's source gives me life and God's source removes life from this human condition. And so who is saying my life? Who, who's speaking when the words my life are expressed? It's God in your presence. It's God in your presence saying my life and it's being said through the vehicle of Raphael. That's a tough one for me to grasp. It took me decades to grasp that, to be able to call myself God showing up as Raphael. But about 10 years ago, I really began to believe it most of the time, and my life changed radically. Because then this statement is no longer difficult to accept. Because I am real. Then I am, I am real. This aging, decaying body is not real because it's impermanent. It's part of the play. But the playwright is real. And the production manager is real. And so that's the important stuff. It's not all of the different characters that are played because the characters come and go. They, they, they get on stage and they get off of stage. And, and they're hired and they're dismissed when their job is done. That's what happens in a play. But the playwright, the playwright, is unalterable. The playwright gets to keep writing whatever he wants to keep writing forever and ever and ever because it is mind. The playwright is mind. And another definition that we use for God is mind. So hopefully some of these analogies help to distinguish what they're trying to say here with nothing real can be threatened. So. The reality is creator, the creator is real. The creation is temporary. So it is not our place to focus on the creation if we want to be in peace because the creation 
is in a constant state of flux at all times. Blink and it changed, you know? So you can't count on it. And because there are so many variables that are outside of our control because we're part of a collective consciousness and we have no individual control over others' consciousness. We add to the collective consciousness, we are participators in it, but we can't alter the collective consciousness alone. And we are part of that. Break time. So is there anything more that we, anyone here feels we need to touch upon regarding the premise? Nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Are we feeling complete with this today? Should we move on? Okay, I take that as a move on. Okay. It says, this is how A Course in Miracles begins. It makes a fundamental distinction between the real and the unreal, between knowledge and perception. Okay, so it's saying that what is real is knowledge and what is perception is unreal. So we then need to redefine knowledge because we have given a great deal of respect and accolades to knowledge and it's now it's saying that knowledge is unreal and that it is our nemesis and our point of suffering so by extrapolation by deduction knowledge is our point of suffering what do we do with that I mean perception no, I'm, I'm sorry perception perception is our point of not not knowledge perception is our point of suffering so what what do we do with this when we're perceiving all the time, all day long, constantly, everything in our sensorial grasp is perception? Knowledge is truth under one law, the law of love or God. So, Fernando, this goes back to you. It's calling that God and love are synonymous under one law. It's, it's the same thing. Truth is unalterable. So knowledge is truth. Truth is God. God is love. Love is law. Okay. Truth, knowledge, love, law, I'm, I'm extrapolating here, I'm not reading, is all unalterable because they're the synonyms that were used here. They're all unalterable. What, what are you reading? I am reading in the preface, and I can't, since I'm reading digitized, I can't tell you where it is in the so book. Maybe on, it's on uh, page X. It's, right, it's right after that. Preface, right after what, what it says. Our, our book doesn't have it. Yeah, mine doesn't have it. under what it says. Okay. Okay, so truth is unalterable, eternal and unambiguous. I, those are great words, unambiguous. 
meaning it's not vague, it's not negotiable, it's not slightly this or slightly that. It, it is what it is, cut and dried. Because ambiguous, there's always room for discussion for something that is ambiguous. It's not quite clear. Yeah? I revisited today in that I have the storm book when it was talking about the winds that create uh, us believing there's something against us. And it was talking about misperception. Yeah. So here they're talking about the perceiving of the misperception. And they said it's when you turn to principle that you correct that. And that's the same thing they're saying here. Exactly. They're calling it truth. Right. And in unity, sometimes they call it truth, and sometimes they call it principle. Principle, correct. So in other words, something that is always true, universally true, can be something you can anchor yourself to when you realize you're you're having trouble with your perception and it's causing you trouble. Right. You can return to that principle of truth right. that anchored you and help with the misperception. Right, right. One more word that is used for that is law. So right. Law, principle, truth. Yeah. So truth is unalterable, eternal, and unambiguous. So there's no room for discussion on truth. It just, it is what it is. You can choose to, to not accept it, but it's not negotiable. It can be unrecognized, but it cannot be changed. It applies to everything that God created, and only what he created is real. So this is what we were commenting on our first session, that the elements the basis of creation is what God created. Then man has come in and innovated with that handful of primordial creation that is the responsibility of God. We get to play with creation, but we are not creators in the human context. We're innovators in the human context or we can also accept the term that is commonly used, co-creators. But we're really not creating anything from scratch. And it tells us that very clearly here. And so, but it cannot be changed. It applies to everything that God created. And only what he created is real. So, What God created is the substance that gives form to everything else. So everything else will perish in time except substance. Even, even the minerals will perish in time or are attributes of combinations of other basic elements. But the only thing that is absolute is substance from which everything else comes, from which everything comes. So substance belongs to what? Reality. Reality. And substance is attributed to what? To spirit. 
to spirit, to cause. Who, it is, it is spirit, it is God of our understanding, it is law that manages and uses substance. It uses substance. We, we from the human realm do not use substance from the human realm. Our divine self has access to substance. That's, that's the whole distinction. How do we access that which is at cause, which is at creative cause, truly? And so, yes, Nancy? Substance, you cannot see substance. I'm sorry? You may not see substance. Substance is not something that you can see. No, it is not tangible. It, it, is, it is real but unseen. Real but unseen. And, and that goes back to the definition, the premise, because everything that is seen is unreal. Everything that is unseen is real. And substance cannot be seen, therefore it is real. Everything that can be seen is not substance. It's a manifestation and a byproduct of substance. It applies to everything that God created, and only what he created is real. It is beyond learning because it is beyond time and process. <clears throat> well, that's a tough one for anyone who's intellectual. It is beyond learning because it is beyond time and process. Okay, so. Time is also not real. It's part of the illusion. Process is the doing of life. That's also not real. It is, it's in the temporal field. It is not in the eternal field. And so then it is beyond learning because learning is an acquired state. It's something that is acquired whereas knowledge is something that is given. It is not acquired. Real knowledge to the level of the paragraph before, knowledge is truth under one law, the law of love or God. That is a given. It is not acquired. And so, so then, um, learning is acquired. Knowledge is not acquired. Is there anyone that has an objection to that distinction? I don't understand that. Okay. Anybody want to chime in? So knowledge is your innate, intuitive, okay. center that knows okay. truth. Yeah, Fernando. Uh, I would say knowledge, you were created with knowledge, so there's no need for you to learn it. And I think knowledge shows up for me through intuition. That, that's how I access it, through my intuition. And, and then I recognize that. It shows up through intuition, and I recognize it 
at, at the level of, um, of a sense of peace. The feeling of peace is, is a knowingness related to knowledge. It's a knowingness that it is true. It's a, it's a resonance. A resonance is a vibration, which is a feeling that I call a knowingness. It, it's not, it never up here. It doesn't, that whole thing doesn't happen up here. It happens right here or it happens right here, but somewhere away from here. This is where I have more trouble. It's beyond learning because it is beyond time and process. So knowledge is not about how much time does it take to, to be knowledgeable of, of the truth of life, of the truth of love, of the truth of God. It's instant. It's instant. This is why I was saying earlier that it can be like this. It can be instantaneous because what we are wanting to access is knowledge. It is not something that we learned. And that can be instantaneous. And once it happens, it cannot be undone. It can be covered up and ignored, but it cannot be undone. We cannot unknow something that has been revealed to us. Pardon me? Grace. Yes. It has no opposite. Knowledge has no opposite. No beginning and no end. It merely is. And so knowledge is law. It is God. It is love. It is eternal. Synonyms. It is source. No beginning, no end. It merely is. The world of perception, on the other hand, is a world of time, of change, of beginnings and endings. It is based on interpretation, not on facts. It is a world of birth and death, founded on the belief in scarcity, loss, separation, and death. It is learned rather than given. Perfect definition of the difference between knowledge and learning. So. The perception is learned. It is not coming from knowledge. That's why it is learned rather than given. So therefore, knowledge is given and learning is acquired. Okay. Perception is selective in its perceptual emphasis, unstable in its functioning, and inaccurate in its interpretations. <clears throat> so. We're up a bleep creek when we are playing with perceptions. So how bad is that? Well, really, it's not bad at all. It's not bad. It's just part of our human condition. And it is something that this, this paragraph, we might, we could take it as a big negative. We don't need to do that. That would be self-defeating. We can take this as an understanding. We can get to the point of knowing that this is not, this description of this paragraph is not our reality. It is our misinterpretation when it arises.
when all of these conditions of believing in birth and death, in scarcity, in loss, in separation, when all of this comes up for us, we can then acknowledge that this is part of our illusory, unreal state and that it is not based on knowledge, which is truth, but it is temporal and passing and changing and having only to do with the world of time, beginnings and endings. And if we don't like it the way it is, it's going to change. There's no doubt. It's either going to get better or it's going to get worse or it's going to die. Something, but it's going to change because it's not going to stay the same way because it can't stay the same way because it's in a state of constant decay because it was born or arose from and it has to go back to what it arose from. It cannot be constant. There's only one constant. So is there anything more in this paragraph that we should clarify or work on deeper? This is, this is really the explanation or the definition of the entire premise of the whole book. This paragraph explains it clearly. So if we're not fully comfortable with this, the book is going to give us ajita frequently. Okay, we're comfortable. Yes? What's the difference between substance and essence? That's a good question. And I think that it's probably going to be a play of, on semantics. Uh, they maybe, I don't know because I'm not a linguist, but I could, I could see where they could be used interchangeably and say that, that the substance, that which underlies, is equal to the essence or the extract or that which, when you distill everything else off of it, then that's what you're left is the essence. So let's, if, if it's comfortable for you, and it means that to you, that it is something that is unalterable, that is constant, and that underscores and is the cause of everything else, then let it be that for you. Excuse me, what is substance? What is substance? Substancia, la substancia, la substancia. Eso, eso, eso que prevalece y subraya todo. Okay. From knowledge and perception, respectively, two distinct thought systems arise, which are opposite in every respect. How wonderful. Yin yang. This is why we've got this. This is why we have the two poles, so that we can have an existence in this tension of manifestation of creation because without this tension of the two opposite poles this illusory realm this playground could not exist that's part of it so knowledge and perception must exist they they, they have to be there because without perception wanting to cancel out and challenge knowledge knowledge could not be recognized. 
I, and, and that's what gives me so much joy. Every time I fall into my perceptions and a moment of suffering, I remind myself, this is the only way I could ever go back to my state of knowingness, is to have fallen away from it momentarily. If I'm in it 100%, I cannot recognize that I'm in it. A fish doesn't know it's in water until it's been taken out of water. And then it knows it's not in water. Acknowledge is conocimiento, ¿verdad? So that, that is a really soothing thing for me, whereas if, if we were to just take it literally, it could be disheartening. I don't want it to be disheartening. I want it to be uplifting. And so my perceptual state is there as my greatest gift at all times to bring me back to the joy of center. And I can transform. I have learned to transform by using a higher law over a lower law. I have learned to transform poor ways of perceiving into appropriate ways of perceiving and turning this play when it, when it wants to show up as a drama in my life, I am now able to more often than not turn it into a comedy. And that's what this is all about. That's what the course is all about, is getting a hands-on expertise as to how to transform the drama of life into a comedy of life. Because the playground is the playground. That was not created by us. The playground is, is the playground given to us from knowledge from source and what we do with it depends on whether we're coming from a place of knowledgeable management of the realm we're given to play in or erroneous perceptual management of the playground we're given to express in. It's a choice and we get to choose how to perceive, how to respond, how not to react, what to believe and what not to believe, what to integrate to a level of conviction or not, and what to bring to the level of faith or not. What to have faith in or what not to have faith in is a choice. It begins by choosing the thought, then choosing to be, for it to become a belief, then choosing for those beliefs to become a conviction, and then choosing for those convictions to be that which I stand on faith. It's a choice. Where I, whether I choose in suffering and lack and sickness and death, or whether I choose in the exact antithesis of that. It's a choice, because they both prevail in this realm. They are the yin-yang of the human experience. They are the polar opposites 
of the human experience. Without that dance, we can't even have this experience. And we're here to have this experience. Who's here to have this experience? I just said we're here to have this experience. Who is here to have this experience? Who's we anyway? Who is we here to have this experience? It's God and 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 God. The we am. The we am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the we am. So, so how could this possibly be a bad deal? This, this is not, nobody's getting gypped here. <laughs> yeah, Fernando. When I read Conversations with God, God's answer was basically, it's the only game in town. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. In other words, you can, you can manifest, you can manifest as God having an experience or in, in this physical world or not be in this physical world. You have a choice. You mean you can commit suicide? No, I mean you oh. can just not manifest. Oh, no, well, yeah, you can, you can hide out. Yeah. You can, can hide out. away from life, from living. But like, like it says in the book, this is the only game in town. And since we are eternal... You're going to have infinite number of games later. You're going to have a lot of time in your hands. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 And, and, and the whole reason that we play with this is why waste any time on suffering? Why employ any time whatsoever, even a moment in the state of suffering or fear or lack? What for? What possible reason, valid reason, could there be for that? And yet, look at how much time in our past we have employed because we had a, mis a grave misunderstanding of what was what, of what was real and what was unreal. It's coming to the understanding of what is real and what is not real in this play ground in the stage of experience that will then allow us to make better choices in order to mitigate the suffering and escalate the ecstasy or the joy. And that's, that's my whole reason for being here. Otherwise, I can either check out completely or I can check out and simply exist and lead the life of a zombie, a mere existence. And there's a whole lot of that out there. A whole lot of it. Right. So I would rather be off the charts insane in my own form of insanity and not care what the world at large thinks of my beliefs or behavioral patterns which bring me a great deal of joy. And then I'm really living for myself. And that I said self with a capital S. I'm living for self, for the higher self, for the, 
for the I am me self, the higher me self. Because every single experience that I'm having is generating the feedback loop right back to source at every moment in time. And that's why the little me is here in order to in, in order to absorb, to sponge in, to attract, to magnetize all of these experiences and transmit them. I'm a transmitter. That's why I have these senses. That's why my five senses were given to me. They're nothing more than elements that transmit. They, they, they grasp and transmit messages. Yes. Suffering, I feel like, is part of the existence that we're feeding back. No? Yes. Pain and suffering. Is that something that is here because we have to distinguish dark and light? We need that feedback to give back to source? You can't know joy. You can't know well-being unless you've had a moment of suffering. And yet... and, And yet... And yet, once, once you've known a moment of suffering of, of one particular type, yeah. what, one particular type, let's say I cut the tip of my finger off while I'm chopping onions. Okay. I'm thinking grave suffering here. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, I, that's, I, in, in that's where my head keeps going. I'm thinking grave. Okay, give me, give, me a, give me a big one. That I, I wanted to keep it light. See, the big one is no different than the little one. Okay, so go with your little one. There is, there is no difference. Okay, there's no difference. In, 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 the, in the mind of God, there is no distinction between big and little. There is no big and little. It just is. So one penny and one billion is the same thing. No difference. You know, a, a hangnail, pulling a hangnail off and, and having your child shot in front of you and killed is suffering but the but the this is where the course is radical and tells us the suffering of a hangnail is no different than the suffering of the loss of your child it is only the perception that we attribute that we attribute to the state of loss and suffering because we believe it to be a loss. We have faith in the belief that it is a loss. We believe it so deeply with so much conviction that it is, it is at the level of faith within our mind construct that we believe we cannot transcend the loss of that child having been shot in front of us. Yeah, but... The course, this, it says, this is a radical course. It says it. But I want, and I'm like, answers of how do you tell that mother, this is a playground, this is all an illusion. So you can just hurry up and get over the loss of your child. Oh, you don't. No, but I'm placating. Yeah, but I mean, this is what's so difficult because it's an individual understanding. 
Right. Even that's though, it, even though you know it would help them to see it differently, yes. that's the difficulty I have with. Because right. I want, I feel like I have an obligation to the collective consciousness to help those around me to get to that point. Sometimes frustrating. So I just want to get to, you know, like like a, like piercing the knife through that suffering and letting it disperse. It's just something that, you know, I want, that's what I want transformation to happen in me so that I can spread that out towards those that cannot it can only, see, cannot it can only see. come from your being able, able to comfort them and not teach them. Right. That's, no, that's yeah, it's difficult. So, Sometimes it's agreeing with them. You can, you can not right. make choices Empathizing for others. That right. And understand no, having compassion, and I get all that. That's but all. it's just, I don't know. And the how, how they are spiritually, they will believe that they are in a better place. I know the physical part, they will miss the kid. Mm -hmm. Because it's no what human believe, the kid doesn't go first. But that's the human part. Oh, so it depends where they are. You know, if it's somebody very, very spiritual, they will be different. Mm -hmm. Those who work in the healing arts, I think that's challenged where with having to uh, be in both worlds. Mm -hmm. But you can always shine your light on it mm -hmm. and expect it that your life is going to somehow influence theirs in such a way that they will have peace. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't know, Raphael, I, how do you see it from the Course standpoint? Well, not, not, I, I hear you. No, th this is all good. This, this is exactly what I want to happen here. <laughs> exactly. This is, we're, we're right on the mark now. Because this is what applying the Course is about. And there's no reason to do the Course unless it's going to be applied. That's exactly you know, what I'm saying. We, we, we don't need to pontificate around these words. That, that's useless. It's futile. So how do we apply this thing? Well, I have to find ways of applying the Course every day of my life. What, what I do now for the past 15 years is counseling. Is what I do all day long. And I'm dealing with tragedies of this nature and many other nature all day long. And for me to give somebody lip service is of no use to them and it's a fraud to my spirit. Yes. So all I can do in, in, in the presence of tragedy is to stand in knowledge. As we were talking about a moment ago, to stand in truth, to stand in knowledge, to stand in love, to stand in God. All of the synonyms that they just gave us. So, what does that look like? How, how do I stand in truth and knowledge in the presence of adversity or tragedy? Okay, so that, that's gonna be very individual for each one of us because it is how I stand in the presence of tragedy is in direct relationship to where I'm at with my own truth, with my own love, with my own God.
And so I can give you, I can give you an answer of what I would do with what I understand and what I know today at this moment in time, which may not apply tomorrow for me, because I'm not going to be the same person tomorrow that I am today at the human level. There are going to be things that are going to affect me tonight in driving home and in having a snack before I go to bed and even in my dream state that are going to alter my psyche and my ego and my personality expression tomorrow where who knows how I would respond to that tomorrow. I can only tell you how I would respond to that right now. And that is what I just said about change is what this has been talking about, about what's real and what's unreal, about what's changing and what, what's not changing. And we are all in a constant, imagine our minds are in a constant change status. And so one little thing can happen that can trip our minds into a whole different modality in a split second. So as much compassion as I might come from right now, I could get a phone call an hour from now that could put me in a spin, in a tizzy, and me fall completely off the wagon and be a total pain in the ass with my client tomorrow morning. That is a possibility. So that being said, if you are at your best, or I am at my best, trying to have compassion for someone else, all I can do is offer love, understanding, comprehension, compassion, acceptance, and presence, and just be present with them, knowing that they are in a state of suffering. So if the person is suffering, and this is for any circumstance, what can I say to that person that is suffering over whatever? So my first question would be, do you believe that there is any benefit whatsoever into the state that you're suffering? From the state that you're suffering, is there any benefit in the suffering aspect of it? Maybe at first they're not going to understand that, at first. Because they're going to think that pain and suffering are synonymous. Maybe you need to explain that pain and suffering are two different things. And if they understand that distinction from an intellectual point of view, maybe you can go on to the next level. And they can get to the point of acknowledging that the suffering brings them no benefit whatsoever. And usually that can happen by helping someone recognize that something previous in their lives that they suffered over, once, once it passed, the situation passed, all of the suffering that they employed toward that made no change whatsoever in the condition, none. If you can help them to recognize that about an experience in their life, they might be able to see that in this moment in time, to apply that same suffering construct is not going to change the thing at all. And they might just lighten up on the suffering. Mm -hmm. Start with that. But that, we could go on for hours on this. And it is five after nine, so I'm going to honor our timeline. And we'll stop for today. And I 
wish you guys a fabulous week. Fantastic. Yeah.